20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome to yet another edition of a Pack-A-Day podcast. We are back and better than ever here on Super Bowl Sunday. I'm your host, Jacob Westendorf, and reunited with Zach Jacobson. Zach, moving in, becoming an adult, all kinds of different stuff. How was your weekend? It was busy. It was hectic. It was rainy. And, yeah, that's kind of... It's a little unorthodox to say that, you know, being in Southern California and all, but, you know, it's really, really, really rainy. We're in, like, in the middle of a big storm here. I know, you know, kind of in that, towards your general direction, everything's kind of below zero, but I'll take the rain any day. Yeah, it was below zero. Today we were in the 40s, and I was joking. I was like, this feels like summer. Uh, So all the snow and the slush and everything's melting. Uh, Between the next three days, we're going to be in, like, the mid-40s to the 50s. So... A 100 degree difference from what field temperature was like on Wednesday afternoon, which was about 58 below zero here in my hometown and colder uh, around some of the areas. So we have survived the polar vortex and now we are staring in the face of having to survive time without football. Uh, Today is the final game of the season. The New England Patriots will be taking on the Los Angeles Rams this evening. Zach, this is a Packers show, so I don't want to spend too much time on a Super Bowl that, frankly, I think the general consensus is everybody's tired of the Patriots, and I completely understand that. I think the casual fan will be rooting for the Rams uh, this evening. I will be one of those people rooting for the Rams this evening, but I do like the Patriots. I think they win 27-20. Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, six Super Bowl titles. And neither one of them retire, which is the annoying part. Uh, So they'll be back next year, hopefully, for the Packers to be able to dethrone them uh, in the Super Bowl, which Aaron Jones did say this week at the NFL Honors that the Packers are going to be in Miami next year. Guarantee it. Write it down. Aaron Rodgers said that Devontae Adams was going to be busy next year during the Pro Bowl. So they seem to be shooting their sights high. So hopefully that's the case next year. But this year, it is the Rams. Zach, do you give them any chance to win this game? Oh, yeah, they definitely have a chance. And, you know, I – look, I hate – I cannot stand the Patriots. Maybe not hate them, but I just – I'm so sick of seeing them win. And I know, I know everybody else would – yeah, I know everybody else is too. That's like the general consensus, like like you said. Nobody wants to see them win anymore. But, I look, when, when Brady and the 
Patriots, they made that big comeback against Atlanta a couple years ago and Brady won his fifth ring. Everything, like, my, my soul just got sucked out of me and all of my kind of vengeance towards the Patriots like went along with it. And I just kind of gave up. I gave up rooting against the Patriots. I gave up going against Brady and Belichick and assuming that they're going to collapse at some point and assuming that the inevitable downfall is finally going to happen. I'm just done. All right, Jacob? I, I gave up. All right, that was it. So I'm picking the Patriots to win 37-31. That'll be entertaining. I respect it. Uh, I understand why uh, you've given up on picking against the Patriots. I, myself, have done the same. I've won a lot of money uh, in recent years picking the Patriots. Uh, obviously, if they win, that'll be two of the last three Super Bowls. But um, the the Patriots are just they're a modern-day dynasty. They might be the greatest dynasty in the history of professional football, their longevity. Everything about it's annoying, uh, but it's also admirable the way they've been able to. I mean, realistically, this is, what, 18 years running? The Patriots played in their first Super Bowl against the greatest show on turf, Rams. Kurt Warner, Marshall Falk. Tory Holt. I mean, there are guys on this. Well, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady are still here, and the other guys are not. Uh, that is incredible, even if it is annoying. Packers news. Uh, the the well, I guess this isn't really Packers news because there's not a Packer involved. But the class of 2019 for the Pro Football Hall of Fame was announced today. Names include Champ Bailey, Pat Bolin, Gil Brandt, Tony Gonzalez, Ty Law. Kevin Mawai, Ed Reed, and Jeremy Robinson. Zach, the name that is not in there is Leroy Butler. Uh, he was not a finalist, and I just made the joke on Twitter not that long ago that the Hall of Fame committee did not put him in on the Hall of Fame. Uh, John Lynch and At- Steve Atwater were two finalists, and I said they did not put those guys in because they know that Leroy Butler was a better player than both of them and deserves to be a finalist before both of those guys do. That's no disrespect to those guys. I remember when John Lynch was really good. I remember Steve Atwater playing in the Super Bowl for those late Broncos teams. I get all that. But Leroy Butler is a better player than both of them. He was on an all-decade team. He invented the Lambeau Leap. He was the first safety, really modernized the game with his ability to play both in the box and deep in coverage. He made difficult plays look routine. I think it was Dusty Evely today. Uh, One of our colleagues posted the uh, gif of... Butler sacking Drew Bledsoe in Super Bowl 31. Not an easy play by any stretch of the imagination. He did it one-armed and threw him on the ground while being blocked. So, Zach, yeah, he took out the running back at the same time. I mean, it was incredible. So, tell me, Zach, why does Leroy Butler deserve to be a Hall of Famer? Because I just kind of gave his case there, but this is a guy that definitely deserves to be in, in my opinion. You tell me why that's the case. Well, you... You look at Fritz Schirmer's defense in the, in the 90s and what the Packers were able to do and how, how specifically in 96, they were just such a dominant force. They were basically unstoppable in every facet of the game, whether it's offense, defense, special teams. They were number one in all, you know, all three categories. And, you know, Butler, he obviously, he doesn't get much acknowledgement for that because, you know, he's playing on defense with, with Reggie White. And obviously right. Reggie White, he's going to take a lot, a lot of maybe the credit for what that defense was able to accomplish. But Butler, he he had more career interceptions than than Lynch, than Atwater. I think he, I think Butler was sitting at thirty eight, last I remember. But 
his numbers were just better. I mean, we all know the Hall of Fame committee, they base every, almost everything off of numbers and statistics. And sometimes it shouldn't be that way. Sometimes it should just be based entirely off of impact on a game. The overall, the overall impact a player has in a defense alone. And Butler, he was just a, a total ball hog. He hit hard. He, he, com- he commandeered that defense. He was a big part of that defense up until the, the early 2000s. He was just... He, and like you said, he even invented, invented the Lambo leap. And still, to this day, players are still Lambo leaping. You know, visitors who come to Lambo Field, visiting players who come to Lambo Field days before a game, they come, test out the field, and they, they do Lambo leaps on the field. Like, what? A, this guy was like a pioneer. Yeah, absolutely. Can't disagree. You know, you mentioned he played on a defense with Reggie White. And that's true. Reggie White's one of the greatest defensive players ever. Maybe the greatest defensive player ever. There's certainly an argument to be made for that. Leroy Butler was the second best defensive player on that team and may have, by that point in his career, been the best one because this was toward the end of Reggie's career. I mean, this guy is a pioneer, like you mentioned. He invented the Lambo Leap. And we're talking about a career, honestly, he had all those numbers and his career was cut short because he broke his shoulder in a Lambo game. Uh, against the Atlanta Falcons. So he may have played more and been able to accumulate more of those statistics that you're talking about. While I'm on my soapbox about Packers that deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, uh, Sterling Sharp belongs as well. Uh, I don't know if that's ever going to happen because they use the abbreviated career excuse for him, but for some reason that excuse isn't valid for Terrell Davis, who got into the Hall of Fame. I mean, in general, I don't like to discuss the Hall of Fame a lot just because I think that it's so subjective and that writers pick and choose who they like the most, and that's who gets in. That's why Terrell Owens had to wait a year, even though he certainly didn't have to. Uh, He's certainly one of the – Terrell Owens, for my eye, is the second-best receiver I've ever seen play in his prime. Now, I caught the very tail end of Jerry Rice's prime uh, as a younger guy. So Jerry Rice would be one, obviously, uh, but since I didn't really catch all that, Randy Moss is one, Terrell Owens is two. And I could very easily be talked into thinking the other way around on that. Um but that's the Hall of Fame, you know. Hopefully, Leroy Butler can find his way in. You know, Jerry Kramer eventually got in, and hopefully, Sterling Sharp can find his way in as well. As far as current Packers go, current and former Packers, I guess. This week, Zach, it seems like it happens once in off season. I'm hoping that since it happened now, that it'll just go away and we don't have to worry about it again. But the Aaron Rodgers is uncoachable and a bad teammate and hard to play with and blah 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 all that stuff came out this week from some familiar mouthpieces jermichael finley former tight end of the green bay packers and greg jennings uh they were quoted in a story written by rob reichel about how they don't think that rogers lafleur the rogers and matt lafleur marriage is going to work because rogers wants to be coached but only to a certain point and eventually he wants to run the show and if matt lafleur tries to coach him too hard aaron will check out the other guy quoted in that story that was a little surprising and a little different was Kabir Gabaja Biamila, uh, better known as KGB, uh, the previous all-time sack leader in the history of the Green Bay Packers. That honor obviously now belongs to one Clay Matthews. But they all kind of essentially said the same thing. Zach, this happens every year, and I don't know why people don't just, when it, especially when it comes to Finley and Jennings, it's the same stuff and it's in one ear and out the other. Uh, For me, I think they played to the camera. And the other example I can give is this. That story came out, I believe, on Thursday night. That morning, I was listening to Jermichael Finley 
on my Sirius radio. He was on Adam Shine, Shine on Sports Show, which airs from 9 to noon on uh, Sirius XM Mad Dog Radio. And Jermichael Finley could not stop gushing about Aaron Rodgers. He said he was his biggest fan, loved playing with him, great teammate, consummate player, always tried to get us going and all that sort of stuff. And then 10 minutes later, a story comes out about how Rodgers is a piece of garbage and a bad teammate. So to me, Jennings and Finley have made a name for themselves in the off seasons of just trashing the current Packers quarterback. And the national media and your shock jocks, guys like the dude from FS1, uh, who's on in the mornings with Shannon Sharp, whose name I never utter, uh, Colin Cowherd, people like that pick that up and they eat that crap up. And then they basically ignore David Bakhtiari, James Jones, Jordy Nelson, uh, not Jermichael Finley, I'm sorry, Randall Cobb. Uh, Plenty of guys have come out and talked about the kind of teammate Aaron Rodgers is, the kind of player he is, the kind of person he is. And I don't know Aaron Rodgers. He very well could be a prima donna diva quarterback. He's a professional quarterback. Every single one of them, I would be willing to guess, is a prima donna. So, Zach, when stuff like this comes out, How do you deal with it, and what would your advice be to somebody who's like a casual observer, I guess, in terms of how to handle when somebody talks or when those two guys specifically have this conversation? There's literally no way you can handle that. If you're you're just like a casual fan, you stumble upon this kind of thing, or you're just, you know, watching FS1 sit at your work or something in your break room, which I've been a victim of several times because I wasn't able to, I wasn't able to change the channel so I've had to watch Ego shall not be named um yeah they're just they're mouthpieces and you know Finley he's so hot and cold about his his stance on Rodgers and his opinion and you know has anyone ever thought you know he's like these two guys these vocal guys were pass catchers in Green Bay guys who may or may not hold some kind of a grudge because maybe they feel like they didn't get the ball enough, you know, because they did play in a time in Green Bay when the Packers ran a lot of of spread offense, a lot of five wide sets, and a lot of guys that they had to spread the ball to. Maybe Jennings felt like he could have done more with more targets. Maybe Finley felt the same. Maybe Finley has some, you know, a little animosity for the way his career ended. I, I don't know. But it's just guys like that that play into the media. They feed into it, and you know, I'm, I'm sure there's obviously money involved, and I'm sure maybe these guys don't really feel this type of way about Rodgers. And like you said, we don't know him. He could be, a, you know, for all we know, Rodgers could be a total dick. You know, like, we don't know the guy. But it's just asinine to disregard everything positive that everybody else says about Rodgers. His teammates, his, his friends, coaches, opponents on the field it was um, in a story I can't remember it was a Seahawks player in a story recently that I read uh, that pretty much just an oral history of the 2014 NFC Championship game and one of the Seahawks players was just talking about how casual and how friendly Rodgers was on the field and how he was like screwing with the, with the defensive players minds uh, it was just like like his casual calm polite demeanor was just getting under their skin and messing with their heads like even opponents speak highly of this guy. But it's always the same two people. And, and KGB, that was just... Like, he played he played one season with Rodgers in 2008. And KGB wasn't even... He wasn't even really a starter that season. He succumbed to, to Colin Jenkins and his position. But 
either way, I just think if if these guys are going to kind of feed into their, their little narrative of how Rodgers is, is just this diva, he's uncoachable, at least consider every aspect of the story. You know, take it in from all accounts. Don't just don't just pick and choose what you want to kind of fuel your narrative. But I know I know that's what gets ratings on these types of shows. So it is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. I mean, if nothing else, these guys have made a nice post career for themselves uh, by by making those stories out. And there's some go to people. If somebody wants to write something relatively negative about the quarterback in Green Bay at this point, it seems like those are the guys that they call first. And that's fine. Um, personally, even if there's some truth to those things, it just doesn't – I just don't think it matters all that much because it appears that the guys in the locker room right now seem to really care about him. And quite frankly, uh, we're not in – like I mentioned and you uh, reiterated, we're not in the locker room every day. So we don't know – and to question Aaron Rodgers' leadership in general basically has no merit. I despise those kinds of stories uh, in general just because I think that anything that has come out for the most part lately from his teammates has been positive. So with that in mind, that's that's all I really care about. Speaking of narratives, uh, another podcast aired this week on the uh, reemergence of Jeff Janis. Jeff Janis joined a joined a podcast. Our, our Lord and Savior has returned. Uh, it was, I believe, Wednesday night I heard this podcast, and I listened to it uh, because there was some interesting stuff in there on how Janis felt about Mike McCarthy, how Janis felt about Aaron Rodgers. Here's some bullet points real quick um, in general. As far as Mike McCarthy went, he called the offense archaic. He said the players would question whether or not McCarthy was putting them in the best chance to win. Uh, he had some personal questions himself because Janice has, well, I mean, it was pretty well documented that, you know, anything that was basically said during that 2015 season by the Janice Hive, Janice pretty much reiterated, like, oh, I made plays when I was in the game. I thought I would get more chances, and I never did. And when he went to Aaron Rodgers, he was talking about, you know, his body language and how he thought he could have been a little more positive toward him and, all those sorts of things. Um, I, again, I don't put a ton of stock into it. I know, you know, one comment that was made during the podcast by the host, whose name at this point escapes me, so I apologize for that. But uh, he said to him, like, Janice, you're you're better than Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And then, I mean, <laughs> my, <laughs> my response to that is, okay, if Janice is better than Valdez-Scantling, he left Green Bay. A situation that wouldn't give him a chance, wouldn't give him an opportunity. Cool. Why did he go to Cleveland and get cut by the end of camp? And why has nobody signed him since? Why is he out of the NFL? Exactly because, what I was going to say. Because if he is this talented and this huge stud that nobody would just ever give an opportunity to, there are plenty of bad teams in the NFL that could grab this dude and force feed him targets if that were the case. And the Browns, at, at one point last year, were that exact situation. Janice couldn't get on the field. Uh, I think that I don't fully understand the the need and the love and the. I mean, Janice was a special teams punt gunner and he was really good at that. And you know what? He was drafted in the seventh round from Saginaw Valley State. Uh, no offense to that school, but it's a small school. 
and he's a seventh-round pick, which is essentially a preferred undrafted free agent. The Packers got their value ten times over on Jeff Janis. He'll be forever in Packers lore for those two big catches against Arizona. But realistically, if he was that good, he would have gotten on the field. If not in Green Bay, if even if I give you the fact that McCarthy basically misused him and never gave him a chance, okay, fine. Um, why hasn't he been picked up anywhere else? Zach, I know you said you only listened to bits and pieces of the podcast, but what was your response in general to the things that Janice or somebody else said? Well, wait, was it the host that said uh, Janice is better than MBS? Yeah, the host said Janice was better than MBS. Evan Silva, right? I don't think Silva was the host. Um, I'll have to double check that. I'll, I'll do that while you give your response, but um, I'll make sure that it whether or not it was him. God, that, that's like that's that's just a classic case of just like saying, just puffing up this guy's ego because he's on your show. Oh, you're such a great receiver. You're better than anything they have there now. You're so great. Please, I you know I, a, a lot of that a lot of. Yeah, some of what Janice said has merit. And, you know, it's something that other players have alluded to at this point already. I mean, we saw Mercedes Lewis recently talk about how the offense was just bad for tight ends. And Martellus Bennett, who was there a year before Lewis, was essentially agreeing with him. You know, uh, even as bad as he was. But... Um, yeah, and as you said too, Janice, he, he did get his opportunities, regardless of what all those those cult followers from the 2015 season that kind of still flocked over the last couple of years, who still want to believe that Janice was just robbed of an opportunity in Green Bay. He got opportunities in 2016. He got opportunities in, in the preseason in 2016. In 2017, he didn't make the most of them. He... I think it was in in the Colts game in 2016 when they came to Lambeau Field. He ran a go route, Rogers chucked it deep, passed, hit him in the face mask. So I don't want to hear about how he didn't get any opportunities from from, from anybody, or how he was he was wasn't utilized properly. Like it's just that's such an uninformed take for for from anybody to say that. And that's that's coming from people who the same people who said that he was better than Devontae Adams. Those are the same people. Yeah, I, I still can't believe those people exist. Um, While you were talking, I was trying to look up uh, who the host of that podcast was, and turns out it may very well have been Evan Silva, but I am blocked by Evan Silva now uh, because... <laughs> so, I <can't, laughs> so I can't look that up. Um, but... The reason I'm blocked by Evan Silva is because Peter Bukowski and Matub were asking for, like, Cliff Notes version of what was said on the podcast. And I basically said what I just said earlier. Silva responds to me and says, quote, LOL, so misleading. To which my response was, okay, what did I say that was misleading? Like, I would like to know. It was a genuine question. And two seconds later, I found out I was blocked. Um, So... Oh, well, uh, I'm not going to lose a ton of sleep over that. I didn't follow Evan Silva anyways. That's not to say he doesn't do great work or anything like that. It's just not something that 
not somebody I was interested in, I guess I should say. So that is what it is. The Janice thing forever will be funny to me because, like you said, there there were guys that said he was better than Devontae Adams based on nothing. I mean, really, realistically, those people that were saying that were using nothing to support their theory other than maybe some combine stuff, which, okay, cool, but then, like you mentioned, he gets his opportunity the next year to reprove himself. And when you know when you get those opportunities few and far between, you have to take advantage of them. That's what Jordy Nelson did early in his career, for example. Randall Cobb, same thing. And, yeah, the lasting image that I have of Jeff Janis as a receiver – Save for the Hail Mary, I should be fair. The the Hail Mary obviously is up there. But otherwise, it's pretty much the deep ball down the left boundary uh, that hit Janice right in the face. He was open. It would have been an 85-yard touchdown. It hit him in the face mask and fell incomplete. And that's going to be one of his lasting images. He's not in the NFL anymore. Uh, so the cult-like fan following for reasons that I will never be sure of, I'm sorry that your hero is nothing special. Some little bit of Packers news that I do want to get to before we wrap up here at the end is Ian Rappaport reported this week that Jimmy Graham's roster bonus is likely to be picked up and paid out in March. So the Packers are very likely to keep Jimmy Graham around unless they have a change of heart uh, here at the end of the sea or as the end of the season in the new league year gets started here in the next month. I was always a proponent of if you want to cut him, that is fine. I know Andy Herman wrote a great story about how maybe it was more financially prudent to do so, uh, but I also understand not wanting to pay him. I think in essence it would have been like $9 million to either play for somebody else and then you add in, well, the situation the Packers are currently in is that if they cut Jimmy Graham, there's no tight end on their contract other than Robert Tanyan, so you're probably going to sign a veteran, in which case you're going to be paying, let's just say you sign a veteran for $5 bucks. Now you're paying $14 million to the tight end position, and only one of those guys that you're paying that $14 million to is playing for you. So I think from just a football standpoint, taking the financials out of it, it was probably better for the Packers to give Jimmy Graham one more shot in a new offense that maybe is better for tight ends, will put him in a better position to succeed, and get a chance to grow with Aaron Rodgers because the reality is you don't want – I mean, in essence, it would have been Robert Tanyan and probably either rookies or mid-level bargain basement type free agents playing that position. So nobody great. Maybe people with a chance of being great, but the tight end position isn't one that lends itself to a rookie contributing a lot early on. There's a lot that goes into playing tight end. You're talking about run scheme stuff before you can even get into the pass catching portion of those games. There's a lot going on there, and I know there's some great tight ends in this year's draft class. I am doing the scouting reports for the Cheesehead TV draft guide in the tight end class. So you're going to hear a lot about Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson, both from Iowa, Irv Smith from Alabama, Caden Smith from Stanford, uh, Isaac Nada from Georgia. I mean, there's a lot of players in this class that will be contributors to Green Bay at some point if they choose to draft them. I just don't think it's going to be in 2019 if they were to do that. So maybe there's no good answer. No right answer, so to speak. But I don't think that the answer the Packers gave is a bad one, that they can try one more time with Jimmy Graham. And it really lends themselves really well financially if they can just dump him after this year, uh, if that's the case. Unless Graham has this huge renaissance year that forces the Packers to keep him for a third year. I suppose that's possible as well. 
Uh, but Zach, I mean, what are your thoughts? Jimmy Graham really struggled. I mean, I know his numbers aren't that bad, but you could tell that I just don't know if he was ever comfortable. There were so many almost plays that he made, but he never really made any great big plays down the field. What are your feelings in general about Jimmy Graham coming back for one more run? I was, uh, I'm a pretty big fan of it, and I was hoping that they would do this because, you know, Robert Tunyon would have been the only tight end under contract. For St. Louis is a free agent, Lance Kendricks is a free agent, and you bring back a veteran who gets to, like you said, work in a new offense, get another year to mesh with Aaron Rodgers, and also, as you alluded to as well, they can dump him after the season if, you know, he doesn't perform up to par with their standards, what their expectations are, with very little cap consequence so you know i i'm still relatively in the camp of hoping that they draft a, a first round tight end i know that's probably slowly but surely becoming kind of like a a preference amongst a lot of people but uh you know that number that 30th overall pick they can they can do a lot they can get really flexible and if they really want someone like maybe TJ Hawkinson, if they want to, you know, take that Iowa product, they can go for it right there. If he's if he's available, or because it is such a deep class, they can wait and take Irv Smith Jr. in the second round or Caleb Wilson at some point. You know, they can they can afford to pass up on that first round tight end. Maybe stock up on the offensive line, take a Dalton Reisner at, at thirty. They can do whatever they want to do there. But I'm just hoping they they do something with the defense at twelve. But that's another story. Um, yeah, bringing Jimmy Graham back—that gives—that also gives if they do draft a, a rookie tight end, that gives them kind of that that veteran guy who provides someone of a learning curve for a young guy in a locker room like that, you know, and eventually groom him maybe to become the starter at some point. You know, it, it's just—it's the nature of being passed down, passing the torch. And Graham, the guy who's been around for as long as he has, that's the perfect guy to do it and in the meantime you get someone who could probably still play a serviceable role in a new offense under Matt before you know Mike McCarthy's there anymore so you don't got to worry about you know tight ends being misused or striking out on a free agent tight end because they've done that for what was it, three years now three years in a row yeah so yeah I, uh, I'm, I'm me for one I'm tired of the free agent tight end experiences their experiments I'm just I've had it. you know I've I, I want to draft that young early round tight end get Aaron Rodgers a young athletic weapon guy that he hasn't had since Jermichael Finley and just let him work yeah I'm, I'm with you uh, I mean I know I don't I don't want to say they struck out I guess on Jared Cook they just didn't bring him back um, but I don't uh, think that's what you were saying I, J- Jared Cook he's I don't know that, that situation is a little weird because obviously he had the ankle injury for a large part of the season. He didn't really get going with Rodgers till late in the year. That's and, true, you know, too. Everyone remembers that big catch he had you know, in Dallas, but he didn't really provide any impact plays during the season or any memorable moments outside of that one. You know, he wasn't that big, dynamic tight end that stretched the middle of the field you know, consistently, week to week. You know, the Packers haven't had that in a long time. and I, just, I don't think Jared Cook was that. No, you're not wrong. Uh, the Packers haven't had a consistent, reliable tight end since Jermichael Finley was around. And I know a lot of people want to scoff at that and say, well, Jermichael wasn't reliable. Yes, he absolutely was. 
Uh, he's the franchise leader for single-season receptions for a tight end. And that's in a year – I mean, there's jokes about his drops. People don't like him. That's fine, whatever. Jermichael Finley was a stud when he was on the field. Um, for those of you that want to preview the Cheesehead TV draft guide, it's February 2nd right now. Uh, if I If the Cheesehead TV draft guide came out tomorrow, I'm going to cheat a little bit. But I would have Noah Fant from Iowa as tight end one. TJ Hawkinson as tight end one A. Uh, because really, I think they're, I mean, they, they do different things, but I can't distinguish them enough to have a clear cut ahead. I don't think that you can go wrong with either guy. And Irv Smith would be a small drop, but he would be tight end two or three, I guess, in this case. I like all those guys. Um, I think they're probably all going to end up being top 50 to top 60 prospects by the time I put my board together and everything like that. Um, Zach, you mentioned the draft. I know, I think, I mean, again, it's February 2nd, but if I was polling Twitter, I would be willing to bet it seems like in general the Packers fan base has a consensus now on their hands of they want an edge rusher at 12. Most people seem to say that's Ja'Kai Polite from Florida. Uh, And then at 30, the popular name is Dalton Reisner, which I completely understand that as well. My advice to everybody is, again, don't get married to one prospect because you really set yourself up for disappointment when you do that. Um, and there's so much that can change between now and, you know, draft day, which is, you know, a little less than 12 weeks away at this point. That's a lot of time. I mean, for the Packers to be locked in on just one guy, that would be foolish, I think. To be locked in on two guys. I mean, obviously there's guys I like too. I mean, if if at the end of the day that they're, you know, if they pick Ja'Kai Polite at 12 and, you know, Dalton Reisner at 30, I'm doing backflips. I mean, I'm really happy with that result. But I'm also happy if it's, say, uh, Cleveland Farrell at 12 and uh, TJ Hawkinson at 30 or Noah Fant at 30. I mean, there's so much that can happen between now and that draft. So, But it is interesting to me how it has essentially become a consensus. I think more people are kind of not moving off of Reisner, but if it's not Reisner, they want TJ Hawkinson or one of those tight ends at that 30th overall pick. But there's a lot that can change between now and then. Free agency is obviously going to come into play at some point for what the Packers are going to do in the draft. Uh, but there's a lot between now and then. We will have that for you all off season long. Uh, we are out of time for now, Zach. It sounded like you were trying to jump in there. Do you have any closing thoughts before I close this out here? No, 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 no. I'm good. All right, so we are good. Uh, thank you guys for listening to the Packaday podcast. Go uh, ahead and grab a. Wait, actually. Ah, oh, there we go. We had a retirement this week. We did. Oh, yeah, that's where you jump in. <laughs> oh. Um, well, that name escapes me. I have pregnancy brain. Excuse me, so help me out. Oh, that's right. No, the name does not escape me. It was Julius Peppers. That's right. Julius Peppers played three years in Green Bay. Big play machine while he was here. Sacks, forced fumbles, two pick sixes in 2014. One of my favorite players in the history of the NFL uh, that I have been able to watch. He is. I have been near a lot of professional athletes in my time. Julius Peppers is far and away, to me, the most impressive physical specimen I have ever seen up close and personal. He's built like a basketball player uh, from a height standpoint. He has long arms, huge hands, and he runs like a deer. Uh, And that was late in his career when I saw him in Green Bay, obviously. 
Uh, I would have loved to have been able to see him up close when he was in his prime in Carolina or even some of them early Chicago years. I uh, was unable to do that, unfortunately. But, yes, appreciation to Julius Peppers, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Zach, you saved me there. So what are some of your thoughts on uh, Julius Peppers hanging him up? Uh, he, like you said, he was just such just an impressive specimen in, in multiple facets. He was just an incredible player to watch. And it was great that he was able to come to Green Bay. And, you know, it was crazy that they actually signed him during the Ted Thompson era. You know, it's not, it doesn't seem like a, Ted, a very Ted Thompson signing, but that kind of that fell into the, the – kind of like the Charles Woodson umbrella, you know, it seemed like that kind of, that kind of free agent pickup, but yeah, you know, like I tweeted, uh, I tweeted on the day he retired, you know, he, he was just a quiet, a quiet, what, what did I say? Whatever I said, he was, he was just a quiet psycho on the field, you know, he got yeah. on, he did his job and, and that was that, you know, he, I don't think I ever saw him showboat. Like excessively, you know. Obviously, you have celebrations every now and then for players, but he didn't like rub anything in anyone's face. He was respectful. He was res- respectful to Rodgers when they met again in 2017 when Rodgers came back with the collarbone injury, and you know he was just. I, I, I like to compare him to players like Donald Driver, Andre Johnson, guys like that who are just you know quietly just freaks. You know, they're just generational players that. Don't say much. They let their play do the talking. He was one of those guys. Yeah, Peppers was definitely one of those guys, a quiet, uh, generational player, one of the best I've ever seen, a first ballot Hall of Famer, no question. So, Julius, if you were listening, uh, kudos to you. Congratulations on a great career. I really wish that the Packers could have gotten you a Super Bowl uh, in those two years that we played for the NFC yeah. title while you were here. That's That was the un- one of the unfortunate parts, obviously, of losing those games. But now <laughs> we have the end of our show. <laughs> Give us a rating on Packaday. Please be kind because today I've already screwed a couple things up, so I apologize for that. But give us a rating. Find your favorite podcast and download uh, download our podcast. Subscribe to the show, all that sort of stuff. Follow the show. It's on at Packaday Podcast on Twitter. Uh, you can follow Zach Jacobson at? Zach A. Jacobson. And that's Zach with a C-H, oh. not a K. Yeah, thank you for clearing that up for me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, find me at TV as well. That's right. And you can find me. I am at Jacob Westendorf. You can find me. I seem to have a podcast every single day uh, for this offseason. Packers War Room has started back up with Ross Uglum and Cody Bauer. Pulse of the Pack still rolling. I'll still be doing Packaday stuff with Zach every week. Uh, it's going to be a fun offseason. And then the Cheesehead TV draft guide is going to hit the stores. I'll be doing tight ends. There's a lot of great people doing a lot of great things. Check that out. Thank you guys for listening on Super Bowl Sunday. Enjoy the game tonight. And I'm pretty sure you're all rooting against the Patriots, so I'm just going to say this. Go Pack. Gotcha. Third and six, trailing 30-23. to 23. Two minutes straight up to go in the game. San Francisco showing a blitz through the A-gap, and here they come. Rodgers looking. Throws left side of the end zone. Here he is. Yes! Devontae Adams. Left corner of the end zone from Aaron Rodgers. 16-yard touchdown pass. The Packers an extra point away from getting this game tied. 
Bifford on third down and three in the shotgun. Football to the 46 at Green Bay. Packers showing a blitz, and here they come. Bifford looking, hit as he throws it. Deep down the right sideline, and intercepted. Intercepted on the play. Spectacular interception by Kevin King at the nine-yard line of Green Bay. Sam to Rogers looking right. Throws the right side. St. Brown makes the